Good afternoon, everybody. This is Corey for the Crazy Monkey Inc. podcast. I'm here with my fantastic co-host, Jared Gifford, who is the wonderful and lovely author and writer and creator of Dare I'm Captain of the Stars. And I'm sexy, too. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's got a nice body. Um, I am the writer of The Adventures of Taxi Cab Joe and Sexy Zombie Hunters. Tonight we are going to be talking about Frank Miller, one of the most profound and prolific creators of comics since probably Jack Kirby, in my in my humble opinion, because oh, yeah. I feel that he's done just as much for comics as Jack yeah. Kirby has. Oh yeah, and he's he's one of those, I guess, what you call like older spokesmen of the comic industry. But before we do get into that, why don't we take care of, and you usually try to get this done um, um, uh, beforehand, why don't we uh, start off with some um, Crazy Monkey Inc. announcements and uh, things that are in the works, things that are happening. Well, we just got some more pages from mm-hmm. Samir Samal yep. for um, uh, Cadence Lark is Furious yep. that Brian Joe Glass has so lovingly brought to Crazy Monkey Inc. Yes. They're... Um, doing finishing touches on some of the last pages, which is awesome. And uh, mm-hmm. Mike's been doing a fantastic job in coloring the ones that he's gotten so far oh, and lettering yeah, them. Yeah. Oh, no, it's looking amazing pretty so far. And um, I'm told that Stefano Cardicelli is just as hard at work on Romeo and Juliet, River of Blood, which mm-hmm. should be out. Oh, in fact, this year. In fact, uh, one one bit of news that uh, you and I had both just gotten, I think, just the other day, is mm-hmm. that I guess um, in order to, you know, because he, um, he knows this and he apologizes, but he knows that Romeo and Juliet's taking a while. Yeah. And and it's and it's been it's been about a year since the Kickstarter, and and he knows that it's not out yet. But what he has done to make up for for so when it finally gets released, he's actually. Um, up the amount of pages, he's getting 20 extra pages because it was originally going to be an 80 page graphic novel. Yeah. Um, now he's upped it to 100 pages. So he's, you know, so yeah, you know, and, and, and he's hard at work on that. So even though it's taking longer for it to come out, he's making sure that it's worth the wait. And I believe some of the 20 pages is going to be concept art that's going to be in the back of the book think so um, I'm not quite sure all I know is that that, that that's what he said so far <clears throat> he's he's increasing it from 80 pages to 100 pages um, and that basically you know it's definitely to be worth the wait once it's released exactly yeah um, and I also do know that um, let's see um, I know that Jason Tudor um, is just about finished with the next issue of Warple. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Montalvo is hard at work getting the last pages of the coloring and lettering effects for yeah. Vorpal number three, which should be coming yeah. out this year as well. Oh, yeah. So, so definitely, we've definitely. got that to, to, to look forward to, definitely. Oh, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I know that uh, it, um, on our own fronts, I know that uh, um, I know that um, Sometime this year, um, I know that uh, the, uh, we have sent in for the test prints for for uh, for, uh, for at least two of the books you're coming out with. Yes. Um, Sexy Zombie Hunters number one, Taxi Cab Joe number two, 
And then also, I know that this year, Taxi Cab Joe number three will also be released. Exactly, and I'm looking forward to two, three, and four. And yeah. also, if we can squeeze it in, which I yeah. hopefully we can, yeah. Sexy Zombie Hunters number two. Oh yeah, and uh, and I, so I know your hard work on that. Um, uh, for me, um, I know that I'm definitely going to be having Darren number four and number five coming out this year. Yes. Um, and hopefully, and I believe we can squeeze this in. Hopefully, the very first Darren graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Um, and then also, uh, what I'm working on, I'm hoping to get at least, at least uh, two issues about this out this year. Is um, I'm I've been hard at work on uh, Ronan Brothers, mm-hmm. and that that one's gonna be awesome. And as we said in the last podcast, it's gonna be done in the black and white style. Yes. Um, and so very much sort of old school manga style, and the only color we're gonna have are the splashes of blood. Um, and, uh, and, um, and, uh, it's just, you know, this is one that, hilariously enough, I mean, and once again, I'm not, um, downgrading Darum, because I love Darum, and, mm-hmm. and Darum's a big creation of mine, but, I, you know, I haven't been this excited for a project in a while, I mean, I, I'm telling you, every time I write something for Ronan Brothers, I just, it, I'm, I'm like a, I'm, I'm like a little kid, I get so freaking giddy. He's like candy in the kid's store. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I, I think that's pretty much the announce, all the announcements we have um, thus far. Unless, I, unless you, you, unless something's coming to mind for you. I do believe that, I don't know if I've said this or not, but Tax Cab Joe number three is going to be in all black and white. Oh, I don't, I don't know if you have mentioned <coughs> that, uh, but, uh, but no, that's, that's good, that's good for people to know. Because, yeah, you said you wanted to give it that sort of more noir feel to it. I was looking through the Watchmen yeah. comics, and I was like, you know, black and white looks really, really cool. Wait, wait, you, 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 well, not just Watchmen, but I'm saying you checked out Watchmen Noir, didn't you? Yes, I did, and it looked so damn sexy. Yeah. And I was like, I want to see what it looks like, black and white, with some splashes of blood in number three, and see what happens. No, it's an experiment of mine. Oh no, definitely, and and no, it actually sounds pretty exciting. I mean, that, that's the whole thing is like, uh, you know, and I, I think each comic book has a different kind of feel to it because one of the things for me is that um, one of the things I like about the comic book medium is you can have one that's just chuck full of color, mm-hmm. but then there are ones that really they are just good in black and white if you were to color them it would you know it would it would ruin the kind of aesthetic feel that it has it's kind of like the very first comic books of teenage mutant ninja turtles when they were in black and white imagine if you had colored those it would take in all of the amazing effects Mm -hmm. that they had put into it well and a lot of the dark and dark and a lot of the dark and gritty elements would have been taken out Mm -hmm. Um, so no i was actually glad for those first original black and whites but then like i said but that's not to say that i don't like the color stuff but you can just kind of tell you can kind of tell when something's meant to be black and white exactly and when something's meant to be in color <laughs> um you know um so so in that regard yeah i'm just saying that uh, I, I, each one has a different feel too because obviously with darum darum has to have color mm-hmm. you know you, i need people to see all the different various colors and and just how sort of space 
uh, and cosmic-y it looks. Yeah. Um, you know, um, uh, but with with Ronan Brothers, with Ronan Brothers, I feel like it's going to have more of a sort of gritty credibility to it if I keep it in black and white. Exactly. <laughs> now, jumping forward, I remember um, the yesteryears mm-hmm. of picking up comics and seeing this man's name, whom I had no idea who it was, <laughs> Frank Miller. Oh, yeah. And I was reading through the comics that he had done, and I was truly impressed, not only by the art, but by the storytelling. Because he had brought characters to a new light and to a new depth that hadn't been brought out before. And I really got to understand how amazing his prowess was when I got my gritty little hands mm-hmm. on the graphic novel Sin City. See, it's funny. It's my first uh, my first uh, introduction to Frank Miller was earlier than that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I was aware that Sin City was a Frank Miller title, but yeah. first thing I ever read Frank Miller was interesting enough, and it's not going to be the one that most people think, because most people will be like, oh, it's the Batman, what is it? Now, I read that later, and I do love it. No, no, first thing I ever read Frank Miller was the Wolverine miniseries from the from the late 80s, the one that he did with Chris Claremont. Oh, that's right. See, yeah. I had forgotten about that one. Mm-hmm. I remember reading that one, too, because mm-hmm. I remember how he had given Wolverine a darker and more grittier feel than Claremont had even seen. Well, yeah, well, and not know. only that, but what was happening was this, was, um, and a lot of people don't know this because of how huge Wolverine is, especially mm-hmm. nowadays, and especially how he got into in the 90s. What they didn't know was in the late 80s, um, he was on the chopping block. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, to give them a little bit of brief history, um, Wolverine at first, you know, when he was created in the early 1970s, um, he was just supposed to be, you know, kind of the, um, you always had this dynamic, you know, you had your goody-goody heroes and then you had your, uh, and then you had your kind of anti-social badasses and he was part of the anti-social badass kind of thing. <laughs> um, but the whole point is, is he didn't have a whole lot of depth to him. He was just like every anti-social badass out there. I mean, he was kind of cool for a little bit, but the whole thing is really, by the time the, um, by the time the mid to late 80s was hitting, Wolverine was not, was, was, was considered his... He, he was considered to be not as good a superhero, and they were, and they were considering cutting him from the X Men lineup. He was still um, getting mm-hmm. to be in issues, but yeah. the parts in the issues were getting less and less. Yeah, and what happened was um, a, um, a lot of people who liked Wolverine, um, and especially some of the people that were, uh, well, no, but I like especially the people who were actually working <laughs> at Marvel, yeah. were basically saying, well, why don't we, why don't we. Um, um, give this character his own story and see if we can make him more interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's basically like, it's like, hey, if it doesn't work out, well, then we can just fade him out of the X-Men comics. But if it does work out, hey, maybe he can have more of a prominent role in the X-Men. Um, so they did this Wolverine miniseries and they combined two awesome forces. I mean, they had Chris Claremont, who's like 
the best writer hands down of the X-Men. No disrespect to anybody else who's done it, but no one has ever written the Chris Claremont X-Men stories other than Chris Claremont. Well, yeah, because he's the writer. Well, I know, but no. But what I'm getting at is that is that nobody else can meet that quality. I mean, and and and, and I, I was blasphemy to say, but not even Stan Lee has 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 been able to do that. Chris Claremont has put his stamp so much on the X Men mm-hmm. that you just cannot think of the X Men without thinking Chris Claremont. He's written and done so many story arcs uh-huh. of the X Men. It's almost like. To find a fistful of comics that doesn't have Claremont's name stamped on it is virtually impossible. Exactly. Well, Chris Claremont (laughs) had the longest run of any one title in comic books. He wrote um, X-Men from the 1970s clear on up into the early 1990s. Exactly. And it was... There were one-shots, there were story arcs, there yeah. were so many things. He yeah. did special stories for for certain characters. Oh, yeah. It I was mean, crazy he, what he, he did. He, he wrote X-Men for nearly 20 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and no other writer has done that with any title. No oh, other yeah. writer has, has stamped their name so yeah. profoundly and then, as and, he And has. then he combines his talents, exactly what we talked about, and then he combines his talents with Frank Miller, who he would... By then, had actually established himself in, in many of things. Like first, because because this was done in the late '80s. So by this point, people knew who Frank Miller was because Frank Miller had already done some iconic stuff um, for uh, for other companies. Because he did and he'd done an excellent run on the on Daredevil. He had done um, he, uh, he, uh, he had done um, the uh, the Ronin graphic novel. Yes, he had done. Um, um, Dark Knight, uh, he, he'd done Dark Knight Returns, um, and then he'd also, uh, just barely had done Batman Year One. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, and so, you know, it was a big deal. You had the, you had the combined awesomeness of these two great creators. Mm-hmm. Frank Miller with Chris Claremont, you couldn't go wrong, and I, and I must tell you, no, it was like, all the forces must have aligned that day because seriously, uh, that Wolverine miniseries is the best Wolverine story out there, hands down. I will fight anybody else on that. I'm sure everybody else has got their own personal favorite. No, no. My personal favorite, the definitive Wolverine story, is that Wolverine miniseries that Frank Miller and Chris Claremont did. Now, to the average comic reader, yeah, Frank Miller might not be someone who... <laughs> You know, comes up on a regular conversational basis. Yeah. However, to the diehards like you and I, yeah, when you're talking about a creator who has given so much of themselves, blood, sweat, and tears, mm-hmm. and ink. <laughs> That's the truth. Um, to the comic world, you have to think Frank Miller because mm-hmm. he has given us... Noir. He has given us action. He's given us drama. He's even given us a bit of horror. And not a whole lot of artists and creators can go multi-genre and still be amazing. And I would it. liken him to someone like this. And I know he's also a controversial figure. People love him or they hate him. But I would liken Frank Miller to someone like, say, Rob Liefeld. Whether you yeah, because he's multifaceted him, as well. Oh, yeah, because whether you love him or you hate him, you cannot deny the impact that he's had on the industry exactly and what's interesting is the fact that rob liefeld and frank miller are actually quite good friends 
No, yeah. You know? Well, no, well, well, Rob Liefeld is pretty much uh, friends with many great creators in, in the comic book industry. Um, and, and interesting enough, he actually got to meet Stan Lee when he was still alive and, and actually knew him for, um, for at least... Thir- uh, uh, at least thirty years. Mm-hmm. So I mean, so he he knew, uh, so so he knew Stan Lee, and he's actually got some great Stan Lee stories. So no, it's like any creator that he's um, that he's actually um, known, um, any creator he's he's pretty much uh, you know had a decent relationship with. Uh, you know, um, there, I think there might be a few horror stories here or there, but who doesn't have them? Exactly. Um, so, uh, you know, but, but but the whole point is is that both have had a huge impact on the industry, both Frank Miller and both Rob Liefeld. And, uh, but anyway, I was just using that as an example. But, yeah, no, Frank Miller uh, is one of those things, you know. Um, a lot of people love him, a lot of people hate him, but Frank Miller has left an, an, uh, an impact on this industry that won't go away because, like, like, like he saved so many characters. Mm-hmm. But not only Wolverine, because like I said, he was one of the ones that saved Wolverine, but he also... Like with Daredevil, with his run on Daredevil, he saved Daredevil from the chopping block because mm-hmm. Daredevil was was going to be taken away. They they were basically they were basically saying that Daredevil um, was uh, you know because because it wasn't doing good sales. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the unfortunate thing is is that that was going to be uh, taken off the shelves. Now I have uh-huh. a question for you. Yeah. Say a new mm-hmm comic book nerd mm-hmm. wanted to get into comics mm-hmm. and they said hey i heard that frank miller's a good read mm-hmm. what would you suggest well once again uh, most people will <laughs> always suggest the things that they've started with. yeah and i would know i would suggest just what i talked about the wolverine run mm-hmm. anything frank miller comes up I, every single time it comes up i always tell him read the wolverine miniseries um and um and then, um, and, and you know, and then, uh, and then I'll go off on, on some of the other ones. But like I said, but, but, but what I was trying to get at with Frank Miller was that he helped redefine so many characters and actually save them. He he made Daredevil cool again. He actually made Batman cool again. Because um, the thing was is that um, the version of Batman that we know now is thanks to Frank Miller. Because and I'm not saying that the version of Batman we had previous was was bad but uh but you know um he had different eras of batman and um like when bob kane first created him Mm -hmm. bob kane and bill finger when they first created him um he was more sort of um he was a um comic book version of 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 the of the serial stuff like the shadow yeah um and and that reflected that in that time period, and then um, in the fifties and sixties, he became more sort of slapstick and 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 kind of um, what they call it um, um, campy. Yeah, slapstick and campy. In the in the seventies, in the seventies, uh, they started bringing him back to more towards the crime noir thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the eighties, in the eighties, when Frank Miller did Dark Knight Returns. He basically made Batman. This is when people started calling him the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, he was known as the Caped Crusader. Yeah, because he um, had the Caped Crusader yeah. clear on even from yeah. when he started in the 60s. Yeah. Back when it was Detective Comics before yeah. it was DC. 
he was also known as the Cape Crusader. That's yeah. what he'd always been known. But Frank Miller during the 80s had stamped him as the Dark Knight. As the Dark Knight. And, and here's the best part about it. Yeah. When he did that, you could literally see the physical and emotional transformation of Batman mm-hmm. unfold. Oh, yeah, exactly. The, <laughs> the modern version of Batman that we have today is thanks to Frank Miller. Frank Miller was the one who, who, who had said, that, listen, I got to make him as far and away as different as he was during the Adam West Batman. I mean, and once again, and that's not to be insulting because, because you and I both are fans of the Adam West Batman. Oh, we love Adam but, West. But you and I also both know that was a very different era. God rest his soul. Yes. But we also know it was a very different era, and and it wasn't going to work for the modern era. Yeah, you can't have a, you can't have a campy Batman in a, in the modern era. Well, and you had to have a very of the times Batman because, yeah. you, like you said, you can't have campy when you have dark and brooding in the eighties. Yeah, it just wasn't going to work, and people yeah. weren't going to take it seriously. Exactly, and and, then, <laughs> and 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 we can thank Frank Miller for this. It was guys like, and I'll even give Alan Moore a little bit of credit as well for because uh, he did the will Killing you, Joke. Or, will I mean, you really? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, but it's like, yeah, well, because he did because well, they both. It was kind of like the two-fisted thing happening because yeah, they were both going back and forth. Yeah, because because but, well, basically, it's like you had uh, Dark Knight Returns. Frank Miller does that, and then at the same time, you have uh, around in and around the same time period, Alan Moore doing the Killing Joke. Two very iconic Batman stories, and the reason why these are so significant is these led to the Batman that we saw in Tim Burton's Batman. Exactly. Now, I am going to pick apart this just a, a bit because okay, I, was, I was bitchy at first, but I finally had to realize yeah. that the Killing Joke graphic novel yeah. is so much better than the movie. Um, well, you're not in the minority with that, <laughs> with that opinion, uh, just because uh, I, know, I know a lot of people that were kind of disappointed. Me personally, I just liked it for what it was. Yeah. But however, I do understand. I do understand this also being a fan myself. I do understand why a lot of people disappointed because they added some stuff that was actually kind of unnecessary, mm-hmm. and, and 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 it felt they they elongated things that really didn't need to. I mean, they could have just told a nice, good short story. And it would have still been good, and it would have been still impactful, at least in my opinion. Exactly. Um, but like I said, once it was again, still a good movie. I'm yeah, not, I'm not yeah, dogging it by any you means. Know, you're good, you know. but uh, but once again, no, I said I can understand <laughs> it. So that's the whole thing. Is like if you're gonna go and watch a Killing Joke, um, the only suggestion I would make is just go in appreciating it for what it is. Exactly, because it's, it's, it's not, not going to be like the graphic novel. It's not novel. a faithful adaptation of the graphic novel, but I still find it enjoyable. Exactly. Now, while we're talking Frank Miller, yeah. I want to touch on not only one of the best movies he's ever done, yeah. but also the noirness of it. Yeah. I was so freaking impressed yeah. with how Sin City came out. Yes. Not the, not the ones afterwards, because those suck. Well, interestingly enough, like, well, I found it the same thing. Is like every time they do a movie out of Frank Miller stuff, it's the sequel always sucks. Because what's happened is, I'd actually, I'm gonna throw this in there too, because another one of Frank Miller's creations that I really like, and and I, and I watched the movie, it was great, was uh, 300. Oh, 300 was yeah. awesome. Yeah. The Rise of the Empire, the second one. The was... Same, yeah, it was bad. Well, you notice, it has this pattern. Sin, Sin City, <laughs> the first one, great. The Sin City, a dame to kill for, sucks. Then you watch 
300. Awesome. Didn't watch 300. Rise of Rise Rise of an Empire. Totally sucks. It's like it's like it's like no no. Okay, listen. You need to know this by now. Can I do a movie out of anything Frank Miller? Just make one movie. Exactly. And then move on to the next project. Because And I'm going to throw this out there because a lot of people think that because I don't like a, um, Sin City 2 is because Frank Miller didn't have a hand in it. Well, the reason I don't like it is because they threw a pop star in it that didn't need to be in there. Lady Gaga. Yeah. She didn't need to accentuate the sexuality of Sin City because it already had it. Well, and not only that, but it's not based on any existing material. Let me put it this way. The reason the first Sin City is good like it is is because mm -hmm. it looks and feels like a, like a motion comic book. Exactly. It, 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 it's like you're watching a comic book unfold. That's what's great about the first Sin City. It's like reading the a second, motion picture in your the, hand. The, yeah, this exactly. The <laughs> second one, being that it's not based on any existing source material, nope. it's just completely made up bullshit. Was was the fact that what with that one it had no source material to work off of. It was basically it felt like the second movie felt like it was trying to imitate the first one. Now I will give our listeners this. Yeah. I am not dogging Lady Gaga. She has amazing music. It's just her acting was so deplorable in that movie. I didn't watch the rest. Here's of it. the thing: we can agree to disagree on this one, yeah. and then, uh, especially with our audience, but no, you and I both agree on this one. No, I, I, I thought it was horrible. But here's the whole thing: and I don't think Lady Gaga's that great an actress. However, that being said, both Corey and I are at least respectful enough that if you like Lady Gaga, you like her acting, you like her music, you like all that stuff. That's fine. We're not going to make fun of you. No. Everyone's allowed to like their own stuff. But however, being that in the spirit that we are being honest, Corey and I are never going to say that we like any of her stuff. Exactly. Now, um, one thing that he had done yeah. that I was really, really interested and I was really happy with the casting. Did you ever get to see the movie Spirit? Oh, with Samuel L. Jackson and it is the villain. I wish I, I wish I had known now that you mentioned that I wish I had seen that and 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 uh, and that's one I've been wanting to because for those who don't know it's the spirit is actually based on Will Eisner's The Spirit. Yeah. And that is like one of the longest running comic books ever. Mm -hmm. And and it's really cool. It's actually got that old school kind of comic book feel exactly. to it. Exactly. Um what's the best way to describe it is um, is uh, think of um, if the shadow and the phantom were one comic book. That's cool. that, 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 cool that would be. Yeah, that, well, that's Will Eisner's The Spirit. Mm -hmm. Will Eisner's The Spirit is basically if those two things were one comic book. And the reason I bring The Spirit up is because it had so much originality and it looked just like Sin City. Yeah. It was see, crazy. As, yeah, yeah. See, know. and you know more about the movie. So I didn't get to see the movie, but I am totally familiar with the comic book. Mm -hmm. uh, and the comic book is amazing. No, like I said, it's one of the few um, comic books from that era that to me seems still pretty timeless. It's one of those things that you can read at any time oh, and it's still enjoyable. You need to watch the movie because you're going to get yeah. your, your, <laughs> your rocks off in that one because it's yeah. a really good movie. Yeah. And it does... A hell of a good job adapting from the comic. Yeah. Oh, so nice. <laughs> you're in for a treat. Oh, I definitely want to check that out. But uh, but I definitely know this is that uh, yeah. I mean, 
but I would hold, I would totally highly recommend this. You know, it, um, you get the chance read Will Eisner's The Spirit. It's it's really awesome. It, it's 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 one of those it's one of those things that it's 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 an underrated gem. Exactly. It, um, it, you know, to me, it's one of those things because not a lot of people read these kind of things anymore, but they're still really fun and still uh, really entertaining. Is and there's enough the, issues that you could be reading it for like a whole year and you. Yeah. <laughs> well, once again, it's, you know. it, well, it, it's, it, but I definitely like that. But yeah, it's, it, but it's got that kind of feel that the movies that they had adapted from Frank Miller's material, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and no, and that's really good as well. I mean, you know, almost kind of reminds me, and I know you love this comic book. It almost reminds me a little bit of Dick Tracy. Oh God, you get me with like. <laughs> a cabin full of Dick Tracy and Archie. You won't see me for years. Yeah. You'll, I'll just have my Wi-Fi unplugged, my phone off. I'll, I'll look like freaking Grizzly Adams when I get out of my damn cabin. It'll be horrible. Like Corey, yeah. is that you? Yeah. What? Yeah. But uh, once again, <laughs> once again, uh, to me, and that's what I'm saying is like. Regardless of what, what you feel about Frank Miller at any point in his history, um, the whole thing is, is yeah, he's definitely had an impact, mm-hmm. and and that's what I'm saying. And, and I put liken him to guys like that, as we said, and, and, and that's what I'm saying. Is that he's very much had an impact on this industry that uh, can be measured. I mean, every character they've given him, he's reinvigorated. Exactly. And every character he's created has actually uh, been really good. Like, one of the ones I like is, like, and I just barely finished this one. Um, and you had actually bought me this graphic novel, uh, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, and, and this was actually, my, that, that was really nice. But the, um, I, I, I barely finished Ronan um, a few weeks ago. Oh, you actually read the whole thing? I did. I went and read the whole thing. Did you like it? I did. I, I did. It was, it, was, it, was really, it was really awesome. Um and it was, it was, it was kind of like the best of two things because it was, it it felt like a samurai movie, mm-hmm. but it also um, had had that kind of, um, and I don't, I don't know if anybody who's, uh, um, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy or not, but uh, do you know the the artist? Uh, and, and he's done a lot of classic sci-fi stuff. Do you know the artist Gene Mobius? Who doesn't know Gene Mobius? Oh, okay. So you are familiar, and yeah, he's done some great stuff because he he did a he did a Silver Surfer story with Stanley. He did a um, whole story arc of Silver Surfer with Stanley, not just one story. Well, well um, it was that whole graphic novel. Uh, oh yeah, where, where he basically brought him back. Mm-hmm. Um, that was awesome. He he also actually did that. He also did all the uh, and a lot of people don't know, but you know that, that movie Valerian that came out it was kind of a flop, but. Uh, Mm-hmm. But but the movie Valerian seen was, it once. But, but no, but but it was based off a comic book that was done. But then the art was done by Gene Mobius. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also did a lot of concept art for movies. Um, he's he's actually done concept art and he's actually done movie posters as well. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah. So okay. So yeah. So, <laughs> I, so we're familiar. Okay. Well. Um, well. Anyway. Um, um, I would I would liken the artwork in Ronin to that. Mm-hmm. It, it looks like a Gene Mobius sci-fi <coughs> comic. Um, See, now, one reason I got you yeah. Ronin from Frank Miller... Yeah. Well, there's two reasons, but yeah. the main reason for me yeah. is the artwork in it is just fantastic. Like, yeah. from page one mm-hmm. to the very end, you can just tell that the art was just exquisite. 
And then never mind the script. If it were just nothing but action scenes, I would still have bought that. Yeah, and exactly. So yeah, so it's like, but it reminded me. It reminded me of the movies that works with the sci-fi. But then also I said, but then the story and whatnot felt kind of like a traditional samurai story, and I liked it. Um, so it was really great. Um, and. Uh, and yeah, so that was one that I think was really impactful. And it's um, good fuel for your Ronan Brothers story as well. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, just, exactly. So that's another reason why it's worth checking out. But but like I said, no, it was just the it was the combination of that. It was the it was the that nice artwork that I said really reminded me of Mobius, but then mm -hmm. the awesome story. Now Frank Miller did an awesome job with that. Yeah. But then as we said, he's redefined so many different characters. And then, um, you know, but, but then even some of his original stuff, because we were talking about like Sin City, 300, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, th th those were also really great as well. And, and that's what I'm saying. Only thing I thought was funny, because uh, this does remind me of a hilarious story. <laughs> what I thought was funny was, <laughs> I mean, you can tell, you can always tell, you know, 300's fi fiction. It, mm -hmm. Like it's, it's. A true story from history, but it's done in a very, very, very fictitious way. It's, it's got no, the historical it. fiction yeah. stamped on it. Yeah. But there's more fiction to the story. But, but, it's, but it's definitely more fiction because you know it's got like like supernatural beings and stuff in it. Yeah. Um. You know, here's the hilarious story. Was somebody had, somebody had actually got got up to me one day and had asked me. They they'd asked. It's like, um. <laughs> They said it's 300 based on a true story. Oh, dear God. And, and, I, and then, uh, I was nice. I was nice. I was like, no. It's based on true events. But all, but all the characters that you see in there and all the fantastical stuff mm -hmm. you see, so that's all fiction. Yeah, King Leonidas is the real character. He he is was but, the one that led Thermopylae. You know, but then, but then you know, I mean, seriously, with the long-necked gods and and on, on the magic happening, I mean, it's like, come uh, on, no, no, that never happened in real life. That just gets you teary-eyed. It's just like how. How could you mix well, that? But I, said, I was respectful. I was respectful because <laughs> you know the whole thing is is you, you definitely want to be a douchebag. So, so I, yeah, I just I just went and said that. It's like it's like no, the events uh, that it's based on are true because you had three hundred angry Greeks versus mm -hmm. a thousand angry Persians. Three hundred angry Greeks. Well, that's what it was. But uh, sure. but um, but as far as as far as like the magical and more fantastical elements, mm -hmm. it's like come on, come on, you know that's not real. No, I mean my man, at that point, I might I might as well say yes, and let me tell you about the time I caught I caught Sasquatch. That's right, and I rode a dragon into Isengard, and I saved Alice in Wonderland from the Looking Glass. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> And we managed to melt the winter rain. That's right. Because <laughs> that's right. Because you need to take a look. It's in a book. That's a right. Reading Rainbow. Reading Rainbow. No disrespect to LeVar Burton and the Reading Rainbow show. Love that show. Awesome. Grew up on it. LeVar Burton, you are the man. That's right. I just wish that you would have done the the book from the Evil Dead. That would have been funny. <laughs> oh. No. It's in a bowl, my God! Oh, wow. No, uh, no. Nah, nah. we, we love you, LeVar Burton. You were a part of our childhood. And I won't forget that. Exactly. <laughs> now, 
to step aside from Frank Miller for a tiny bit. Yep. Um, we have not cut people up to speed mm. as to um, some of the stories that you've been doing, aside from Ronan Brothers. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, um, some of the graphic novel stories I've mm -hmm. actually had out there. Um, uh, several other things I'm hoping to also release this year. Um, so I've already got the script finished. I just need to get some artists working on it. But um, I've, uh, I've, I've already got Death Unicorn, Slayer Bunnies. Mm -hmm. and that's in the can, and I just need to get someone on the art for that. Um and then um, I've all, uh, there's also the project that you and I had been working on, mm -hmm. the Sherlock Holmes graphic novel. Um, that we are also hoping to get uh, started this year. Yes. I know that uh, um, I know that uh, we are actually pretty close to um, to getting some funds, and then uh, you and I will get uh, the most awesome Craig DeBoard to start uh, working on those pages. The first time you told me about Craig DeBoard, mm -hmm. and no disrespect to him, but yeah. I thought of the Swedish chef from the Muppets. The bird. The bird, I'm sorry, a little tangent, but when you first told me about Craig DeBoard, I was like, he's a Swedish chef. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so anyway, uh, that's what I'm saying is that. Uh, no, he was um, no, uh, he was a good pick. Uh, but it was also because I knew him from the um, wasn't it the Phoenix one that you had met him at, or was it the Las Vegas one? No, actually, um, I knew him back when I was doing fan fictions. Oh, um, okay. he was the guy who was he was running a fan fiction site, and it was basically everyone's doing their own versions of Marvel characters. Yeah, and. See, I had started over there um, writing things like I'd done fan fictions of Thor, uh, Tales of Asgard, um, Silver Surfer, and then one that a lot of people seemed to really like that I had done, and this was kind of uh, helped me uh, get uh, uh, get some context in the comic industry was uh, a lot of people I guess liked my my uh, my version of Doctor Strange that I had come up with. Nice. Yeah. And, um, Doc, and, and then, like, you know, um, but my version of Doctor Strange was different than the, um, than the version of Doctor Strange that's out there in film. Yeah. And even in comic books. Um, I kept the, the sort of the thing that he was a sorcerer, and I kept all the, those elements and the, and the supernatural stuff. Okay. But what I did was <clears throat> I almost kind of wrote it more in sort of an action-adventure horror kind of, uh, kind of genre um huh. yeah because what happened was my version of dr strange was not afraid to kill people yeah if if, if they the thing is it's like no he'd not go around killing willy-nilly but it was one of those things that if <laughs> if the bad guy had to die they'd die he's like this is fun uh, kill you and kill you <laughs> yeah you. yeah but it's like <laughs> well, he's, well he's very much like how i had written darum was okay. that he felt that if the bad guy needed to die um the whole thing is, and they were irredeemable, and there was no way they were ever going to... And if he could see that, basically, it was going to be that revolving door of them getting captured, 
and them basically uh, getting uh, just getting back out on the streets and killing a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Um, Unlike Joe, who just goes in and kills yeah. people. Just kills. yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I'm his saying. Job. Um, so <laughs> th- that's what I'm saying is like, uh, um, if he saw that that was what was going to happen, um, then um, th- then basically he'd kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I wrote my Doctor Strange. And then also an element that I added to it was that while the original Doctor Strange might have been a little bit more on the fantasy, fantastical end, yeah. I wrote mine sort of more in a horror kind of aspect just because, like, uh, I mean, I, I did have some fa- some fantastical stories. Like, my first story, he actually did end up in this sort of, like, um, almost Errol Flynn kind of fantasy scenario. Okay. But but he killed a guy in that one. <laughs> yeah, one of the main villains he ended up having to kill. Um <laughs> But the story, uh, one of the stories I wrote afterwards was he was actually um, he was actually going to help these people um, from um, from his e- evil enemy Dormammu, but Dormammu had actually been um, having his minions possess the bodies of people, and basically this is kind of this horror movie thing because because like. Whenever anybody would get possessed by these entities, they would grow like these really razor sharp teeth and have these elongated faces and, um, and and just look like a like a like a horror story. So kind of like one of my exes. Ah. Oh, okay. Could have just said that. No, but anyway, um, no, but anyway, like I said, but basically what you had is a, I I, I guess a like I guess. My version of Doctor Strange would be Doctor Strange if he would if he had been written by Edgar Allan Poe. Nice. I'm just gonna put this out there. I had a horrible taste in women before I met my wife. That's why I make the joke. <laughs> anyway, but but yeah. So but so that's what I'm saying. You could just think of my my take on Doctor Strange as that. It'd be like my. It'd be like if Edgar if Edgar Allan Poe had written Doctor Strange. Exactly. <laughs> now, oh. um. I want to do book recommendations, comic recommendations early because I want to center on the rest of the show um, for the end of for Frank Miller. Oh, okay, so. that's fine. Um, so if you want to get that out of the way, um, yeah. uh, you know, I can start. Um, no rush. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> no rush, but I love rush. Exactly, dude. I love rush. I know. Come on, twenty one twelve. Come on, that's a, that's an awesome album. Come on, that that and moving pictures. Come on. The, the, the two iconic Rush albums right there. Anyway. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, sorry, sorry. I digress. And they but, took uh, their, and Rush took their time with those. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ironically. <laughs> <laughs> anyways. Anyways. My, uh, my book recommendation. <laughs> That's great. Uh, um... So let's see. My my book recommendation was let's see. Oh man, once again, so many good titles to choose from. But um, let's see. You know, hold on. Now I'm gonna try and go something a little bit more simple. But do you want me to go first? Actually, no, no. I've actually oh, no, no. I, no. I've actually got one. Um, okay. I'm gonna go back to my childhood on this one. Um, and you should remember this one too. But I'm going to recommend the original Charlotte's Web. Oh. That's actually one of the, one of the first books I got into. Um, I read that back in elementary school. Very good read. Oh, yeah. And, and, then, and then the animated movie is actually really good. Um, once again, I don't know anybody else's feelings on it. 
didn't really like the CGI movie. Um, mm, no. But no. but the cartoon. Watch the original Hanna-Barbera um, Charlotte's Web cartoon. The cartoon was awesome. Uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, you know, God, I still remember that song in that one. A fair is a veritable schmuggersport, 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 after the crowds have ceased. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> uh. But no, I'd say, I love it. <clears throat> so I recommend Charlotte's Web um, for, for uh, my novel recommendations. Okay. Uh, as far as uh, comic books go, um, see, I know I've recommended this before, but I'm still going to recommend it because it's still a really good read. I'm going to recommend Roroni Kenshin. Okay. Roroni Kenshin is really awesome. It's based during the be uh, near near the beginnings of the uh, Meiji, uh, the, the Meiji era in Japan, yeah. which is basically um, for those that don't know. Preceding that was the Tokugawa period, or um, there are two other names for it: the Edo period or the Shogunate period. I think a um, lot of people know it of the Shogunate yeah. period. More. Yeah. Well, 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 once again, uh, just it, 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 all three, <laughs> all three is what's known. So it's just whatever your preferences. Yeah. But basically, this was when the Shogun was running everything, and 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 it was very much about the samurai. Mm -hmm. Anyway. In the Meiji Restoration, what had happened was they restored the Emperor to power. Because what happened was the Emperor was around before that, but he had, his power had been relegated to just basically being a figurehead. Pretty much. And, uh, he'd, been Meiji down, he'd been downsized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, and basically the Shogunate was in control. The Shogunate was the one who had the real power. Mm -hmm. Anyway, when the Shogunate collapsed... Um, they brought the emperor back to power. The emperor basically became the person who had the most amount of power again. Yeah. And what he wanted to do was he wanted to modernize Japan. Mm -hmm. So he, um, so he basically did things like at first that um, that he the outlawed the open carrying of swords. Mm -hmm. um, it had to be concealed. Yeah. Um, and well, actually, for a while you couldn't even have one. The thing was, is at first, I mean, they changed it later, mm -hmm. but at first, no, you couldn't have any sword. The only kind of swords you were allowed to have were wooden swords. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, that's where the bamboo yeah. swords had come into yeah, play. Yeah, the, the bamboo swords, but then also yeah. the ones, the, the, the also the wood, the wooden swords that you, uh, that you would see. Okay, yeah, yeah, the ones that they did for sparring and for... Uh, yeah, 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 but the two different okay. kinds, but yeah, you, uh, basically the, the long sticks... <clears throat> And then also, as you said, the bamboo swords. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, for the long, uh, for 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 at least a short period, yeah, you couldn't have any metal swords whatsoever. Um, and just then, in case anybody was wondering, getting hit with the bamboo sword really hurts. Yes, <laughs> because it's a wooden sword doesn't mean that it still doesn't hurt. <laughs> anyway, um, go on. You're good. Um, and anyway, um, I mean, they changed it later, but basically. What happened was you had old Japan struggling with new Japan. Because it was almost like they just were trying to drag them into the modern century, kicking and screaming. And at first there was kind of this large kind of um, fight about it. But eventually what ended up happening was the Meiji Emperor decided, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to modernize, but we're still going to honor the past. So we still honor the what the samurai were. We still honor the samurai code, mm -hmm. you know. And, uh, you know, um, and so basically it was basically, we're going to move into the future, but we're going to remember the past. <laughs> okay. Um, and what I like is Roroni Kenshin's based on that period. Roroni Kenshin is basically, because he's actually 
a former samurai that uh, his nickname was uh, was um, Potosai the Manslayer. The Potato Slayer? Knock it off! Come on. <laughs> um. <laughs> anyway, um, and uh, what happened was he had actually killed a whole lot of people, basically in defense of the Shogunate. Okay. Um, and what happened though was when the Meiji when the Meiji Restoration happened. He basically decided to turn his back on his old life, and he basically said, from here on out, I will never use my blade to kill anyone ever again. And he actually then had himself constructed a, a specialized sword where it was actually had a reverse blade on it. Mm -hmm. So the blade was actually on the back end of the sword rather than the front end. <laughs> That's right. Um... And it, yeah, and so uh, and anyway, um, no, it's a really cool, awesome story. It, you know, um, you know, got that really good samurai feel to it, but it also um, kind of shows you how things were changing into the modern era. Mm -hmm. So no, highly recommend it. Um, anyway, uh, what about your recommendations? For my comic book recommendation, this is one that's kind of obscure. Uh, that. There's some people that have read it, not a whole lot of people have, and it's just one that I love going back to because not only does it show you how great a comic book can be, but it also shows you how obscure mm -hmm. a story can get yeah. within telling. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> if any of you have ever read the graphic novel to... The very first Green Lantern graphic novel. Mm. And uh, which one are you talking about? Are you talking about... Because um, once again, and I'm not trying to do this... I, I know this. you know which one I'm talking about. You'll probably... Yeah. Well, no, because I was just saying, are you talking about Golden Age Green I'm talking Lantern? talking about the Golden Age. Oh, Alan Scott Green Lantern. Exactly. No, basically, when, when Green Lantern was more of a magical character rather than a sci-fi character. Exactly. And I'm not knocking the sci-fi... Part oh, of no, Green no, Lantern. No. Once again, you're always going to remember your your first introduction to something. Mm -hmm. And if Golden Age Green Lantern was your first introduction to Green Lantern, I can see why that's your favorite. Yeah. And it just, it carried so much weight yeah. for me to how I saw Green Lantern. And then mm -hmm. when he evolved into the sci-fi mm -hmm. Green Lantern, mm -hmm. I loved him that much more because mm -hmm. it carried the elements over from the Golden Age on into that so it kind of coupled well, it. Well, we had a great legacy. I, you know. um, and, I, and I'll even add a little bit to that by saying that yeah, what, what they did with Green Lantern was very similar to what they did with The Flash. Yes. Because the there was even a Golden Age Flash, and that was... Um, and... and uh, and and that was actually a, a different character as well. And and he had basically become the Flash because he was um, doing an experiment on air particles, and 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 the experiment um, and, and the experiment went wrong, and then basically caused him to be sort of lighter than air. So that's why he was able to run so fast. Yeah. Um, but then, but then, it, but then, Silver Age Flash came into being, and mm -hmm. it was kind of similar to Green Lantern. And then it was just a different iteration. That's when you got the Barry Allen version of the Flash. Exactly. And um, and basically, his his story was a little bit different, you know, because like like I said, wait, like we're with Hal Jordan and Green Lantern, like it was very different than the Alan Scott Green Lantern because mm -hmm. like the because uh, Hal Jordan's Green Lantern, he was more of a space cop. 
Yeah. And and then like I said, with with Barry Allen and the Flash, his version of the Flash, um, he you know um, he he had been he had been doing experiments in his lab, which was kind of similar to the first Flash. Yeah. But here's the difference: was that <clears throat> lightning struck the lab, and what it did was it didn't really it wasn't the accident itself, which had created his powers and this mm -hmm. is where it gets a little bit kind of complicated for those who don't know yeah but what happened was was it, it opened it up sort of a universe opened up sort of this this point in time mm -hmm. which was called the um which was called the speed force and flash was uh, and, and barry allen basically was sort of the center of this speed force mm -hmm. um and so what happens is is that his speed isn't a result of the fact that he's lighter than air or no. the fact that he's all these other things. He's part of the speed force. And basically, it's like, and it, 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 it's basically like, he's sort of a time, he's a part of time itself. Mm -hmm. Now, for my book recommendation, um, I had just read this book Maybe about a year ago. Um, I don't even think I've shared it with you. Yeah. Um, but it's a book by John Grisham. Oh, and, well, I love John Grisham. And it's called The Runaway Jury. I haven't read that one, but uh, but I have read much of his other works. Mm -hmm. The Runaway. I still, I still really like The Firm. Yeah. The Runaway Jury is about um, the jury at the very first of the book. Mm -hmm. They've got this tight-knit locked. They've got this guy cornered. They're going to give a conviction. And then all of a sudden, one of them goes missing. And then they can't make the conviction because they can't all be in the courtroom. Yeah. So they're looking for this runaway jury mm -hmm. who is basically, in a way, um, keeping keeping the case from being ended Jeez. and they're going around trying to figure out where this runaway jury is um and so and, and it's basically uh, it's one of those things that until they can find it they're it, 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 it the, basically the case will have to get thrown out the window it's basically put on halt and it, it's, it's what's interesting is it's a very powerful very merciless killer Ugh. who's on trial and he's about to go yeah. to death row ah, I see and because this runaway jury is is gone mm -hmm. he's kind of left there hanging <laughs> you know and he's getting um, all excited throughout yeah. the book and be like oh if you can't find him you're just gonna have to exonerate me yeah. and it just gets wild oh, it wow. gets so cool but but, uh, so. but I can see that be very, very intriguing and then seriously like that's one thing that most people haven't really thought of, and that's, I gotta give John Grisham that. It's like most people will like basically have like the key witness disappears, or yeah. or or the victim disappears, or mm -hmm. you know, or the accuser disappears, or something. Uh, no, I gotta admit, this is one that's actually a little bit more unique in the fact that the jury disappears. Exactly, and so I would highly, highly recommend the Runaway Juror yeah. by John Grisham because. It throws a new twist in the courtroom, throws a new twist in law, and it makes you really think who really does care about the 
the justice system. Oh, no, no, I definitely agree with you. Um, I think a good way to end this, because we're in the last few minutes, but a good way to end this, because I know you wanted to get back to Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. Why don't we give our uh, a, a few recommendations for Frank Miller reads? Our, pers- our personal list of Frank Miller reads. Um, um, personal list for me uh, would definitely have to be... Uh, Top tier of the list is definitely going to have to be Sin City. Yeah. Because if you don't read that one, you just need to slap yourself <laughs> really freaking hard. Yeah. With a fish. <laughs> <laughs> and the very first story arc run that Frank Miller ever did of Batman. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, the Dark Knight's Return, but Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. And then, uh, even that whole series, I'm going to coincide mine with yours. Basically, say, no, I recommend that. And I also recommend uh, Dark, Knight Stri- uh, Dark Knight Strikes Again. Yes. And then I also recommend, um, and this actually came out just, just a few years ago, Dark Knight 3, The Master Race. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. The Master Race was actually really interesting because mm-hmm. it's almost like you coupled old Frank Miller with new Frank Miller, and it just meshes really well in the story. Oh yeah, well, and then you he know. even had help from some uh, from some modern people too. In fact, they even had a prelude uh, to Dark Knight Three, mm-hmm. um, which was was written by Frank Miller, but the art was done by one of my personal favorite artists, John Romita Jr. And he had actually put his stamp on that um, comic book and made it Mm -hmm. twice as gorgeous as before. And this segues into my surprise is next Saturday, because I'm letting you choose this Saturday, Mm -hmm. John Romita Jr. is going to be the the key Our subject that we, of discussion. The subject of discussion next Saturday. Now that is awesome. I I, no, I totally agree <laughs> that John Romita Jr. And you know what? I'm gonna meet you for that. I've already decided who we're gonna talk about this Saturday, and I know you'll love it because he also had an iconic run. Both people. If people think that John Romita Jr. had an iconic run on Spider-Man, well, his father, John Romita Sr., mm-hmm. also had an iconic run on Spider-Man. And this Saturday, we're going to be talking about John Romita Sr. Nice. You know what? If I were gay, I'd kiss you, but I'm not. <laughs> so it's not going to happen. It's not that kind of podcast. So yeah, so, Calm down. So yeah, so this Saturday, we'll be talking about John Romita Sr. And then, and then the following Saturday, we'll be talking about his son, John Romita Jr. Exactly. So I hope that all of you have enjoyed this podcast. I know we've rambled a bit and we've kind of taken up some time, but you know, when we get on the subject that we really enjoy and are really inspired by, um, it's, it's kind of something that we just ramble on about and some podcasts are longer, some, some are shorter and it's totally okay. But I do believe that Mm -hmm. Frank Miller deserves Oh, he does every bit of credit that he gets. And in fact, uh, in fact, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, and, and you know, if it's agreeable with you, I, I think that uh, for the next few weeks we should we should talk about some of the legends of the comic book industry. Um, uh, you know, because I like that. So you want to so like you want to pluck a few? I want to pluck a few. Okay. Yes. And uh, that's what I said. So John Romita Senior this Saturday, mm-hmm. John Romita Junior following uh, the following Saturday, and then just keep going down the list of who we consider to be great legends in the comic book industry. I am totally okay with that. We can make this like a whole uh, set cast. Exactly. If you want to do that. Yeah. All right. Hey. So, 
people you heard it listening, here. yeah, exactly. You heard it here. For those listening, you are gonna get to listen to about some of the great from the comic book greats in the following weeks. Exactly. Now, Jared, as always, yep, I love your insight and what we do and how we decide to do it. Your information is is, is by far the Britannica. <laughs> of comic books like well, google you. can't touch this shit <laughs> so <laughs> thank, well, you thank you again you. for being uh my co-host oh no problem and uh definitely looking forward to darum number four this oh, yeah. year definitely looking forward to that i'm literally going to get one of the first copies i'm going to choke your shit out <laughs> Just letting you know. You, you, you will get it. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, please have a good day. Be good to each other. That's right. And we shall see you this Saturday. Yes. Unless someone dies. <laughs> have a good night. <laughs>